Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. Guys, thank you so much for all of your support during lockdown. It's been amazing, your support, it's been incredible, and without your support, I wouldn't be able to get on the caliber of the guests that I've been managing to get on, especially in the month of June. So this week, I have Victoria Neve Spence, or at Victoria Neve on Instagram. So Victoria has over 100K followers on Instagram, CEO of the global movement Girls Gains. She's also the host of the BBC's Fit and Fearless podcast, has worked with brands including LucasAid, Puma, Holland & Barrett and many more. The reason why I wanted to get Victoria on is she is a huge advocate of body image and body confidence and it's it's a unique perspective that Victoria talks about and that's why I wanted to get her on. So Victoria, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you holding up uh, during lockdown? I'm good. I actually secretly really enjoy it. Actually, I quite like the fact that like nobody really has expectations of you to leave the house. I'm a, I'm a bit of a hermit. It's uh, yeah. I think some people have gone through the hermit phase, and some people have gone through the they would just want to see that see everyone. Um, yeah. So it's it, everyone has had that different stage. So, Victoria, for whoever isn't aware of your background or your story, can you give us a little bit of a synopsis, please? Yeah, I'm a bit of a blabber, so I'll try <laughs> and cut this short. Um, so, I um, I started dancing from really, being really young. I think I started when I was about three. And when I was about 13 I decided that I wanted to do that professionally and I knew that that's the kind of direction I wanted to take in my career and at that point then I I was part of I think four different dance schools that were like the best in the area for the different genres of dance and then when I was 16 I went to dance college and up until that point like I my, my body developed at a really young age which was obviously made me kind of look look at my body as kind of different to other people but it didn't really affect me like I was always pretty pretty confident in my body um and then when I went to college because you you're literally dancing all day every day surrounded by mirrors like the walls are mirrors and you're wearing next to nothing I started to become aware of my body and aware of how different it was to other people's and you know not that I've got like a really (laughs) different body but I just started to notice like different body types and at this point in my life I had no idea about like somatotypes um I just thought you know there's there's girls who I'm looking at who are super super thin um not realizing that they're naturally like that and thinking me I need to look like that what do I need to do to get like that because they're the ones who are going to be successful and when it got to my second year so second year going into third year is is basically like your big big year because that's when you gotta you've got to be going to auditions it's when you're going to get your jobs and we were constantly being told in that second year that you need to come back in third year and be like on your a game because um your body's your cv like you need to make sure that you per- your, your body is looking perfect and um yeah you just need to kind of show up and be the best version that you can be and at that time in my life i was a mega perfectionist and so in my second my first and second year I spent a lot of time in the studio like way past everybody else leaving because I wanted to train and be the best that I could be and 
I guess I brought my perfectionism out in, in my dancing. And then when it came to my third year, I was thinking, right, my dancing is probably the best it can be. Now I need to make sure my body is perfect. And back then, perfect was like kind of like a six-packy toned stomach and a thigh gap. So I did whatever I could over the kind of summer holidays. I started doing like a 10K a day, which I've got no idea how I did that. Because if someone asked me to do that now, I'd be like, absolutely do one. Um, so I was doing like 10K a day. I had no idea about, you know, actual training or how to eat um, healthily. I thought healthy was like a salad and a bit of meat or salad and a bit of fish. I just had no idea about nutrition. And I obviously started to lose weight. And when I went back to college, I think I'd lost maybe like six kilograms over the summer. And my teachers were like, Vic, you look amazing. Don't lose any more weight. Like, you look really great. This would be really good for your auditions and things like that. Um, but to me, in my head, and I didn't obviously know at this point, but I'd already kind of fallen into the trap and into the hole of creating this relationship with the scale and only feeling happy if the scale weight went went down and only feeling happy if like the the smaller I was the happier I, I felt I thought and it kind of got to a point where everything just started to spiral out of control um and I was later diagnosed with anorexia orthorexia and depression and obviously at the time I just put it all down to oh, it's just because I like I hated my body and whatever. But obviously now on reflection and kind of, you know, I'm really lucky to be in a place where I've recovered. I think I've recovered. I've been recovered for like seven years now. Um, but to be able to, not seven years, that's such a lie. Four years, five years, five years. Um, to be, but to be like looking back at it, I know now that it's a lot of, um, a lot of the reason why I developed the eating disorder was because I was like the happy friend. And everybody came to me with their issues and I wasn't somebody who shared my problems or anything that I went through with anybody else because I wanted people to just kind of think that I had my shit together and that I was strong and, and whatever. So I was kind of going through things which, you know, it's, it was nothing out of the ordinary, but I just pushed everything down. And obviously after doing quite a lot of therapy and things like that, I, I realised that that was a big trigger for um for me in disorder but yeah I, I was really lucky to kind of hit a rock bottom moment and decided to recover from there and during that recovery I decided to start an Instagram platform to kind of document my recovery because I had um completely just isolated myself from like friends and family and things like that so it was basically like my diary my Instagram became like my friend um which sounds a bit sad but it helped me at the time um so I used to post on that like every day and before like in time people started to follow me and being like you're my biggest inspiration to get better so then I kind of got to a point of thinking I need to get better now because I'm not just doing this for me I'm doing it for these girls who are following me who, who are trying to get better too and yeah just kind of over the over time the girl game started the podcast started I got into personal training when I got a personal trainer who like educated me on how to how to lift and actually train to get you know to have a nice strong body and yeah everything's just kind of 
blossom from there. Did you feel a pressure from having people messaging you about their stories and having to be an advocate for it? Or how did you deal with that pressure if there was any? Yeah, in a way. I think so. I'm a really quite like a headstrong person. And when I decided I wanted to get better from a eating disorder, I knew that that was the only way. Like, I was only going to get better. So obviously documenting my recovery on on my Instagram platform I guess it kind of put a bit of pressure but I think it was good because knowing that I was doing this for other girls as well as myself made me in the moments when I when I felt like it was all getting a bit too much and it was getting too tough and I couldn't keep going I would just I would remember no like there's girls watching me who are looking to me for inspiration and looking to me to get better to show them that, that they can get better too so I don't I don't think I'd call it pressure I think it was actually really good for me at the time okay no because I, 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 I'm always I'm always curious of when people document their lives as that as that way on on social media like I I go through phases of talking down the camera I don't particularly like talking down the camera I don't mind, I can talk behind a microphone all day. And that seems to be my medium. I'm happier with that. But some people are, are a lot better in front of the camera and I, I just prefer that way. But it's interesting when people are documenting their whole life, like every a lot of people are, are doing it at the minute. And it's just interesting to hear from their perspective because everyone's kind of like looking outside in and it's hard to, I just don't know how the other person copes with it, if you know what I mean. And you've seen, you've seen, you've heard a few stories from people who have put their lives out there to people, and haven't managed to deal with it. But you seem to have been able to cope with it. And that was, I was just curious if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it like during my recovery, it was uh, social media was just a completely different place. I think more so now, I go through waves of being able to cope and not being able to cope, but. I'm more so feeling like I want to be online and I want to be sharing and times when I just don't want to share at all like I just don't want to show up on here yeah no that that makes that makes complete sense that makes a lot of sense because uh, it, it, it is a it is tough showing up all the time because you almost have to put on this facade and not being yourself but you also don't want to be seen as being like a fake if you know what I mean yeah because people mm-hmm. are ultimately giving up some of their life to be watching your story if you know what I mean yeah. uh, I think it, it's only, it's what I find anyway if I'm if I'm following someone and I feel that they potentially aren't being authentic or aren't being real I potentially wouldn't kind of get an attachment to them and potentially would do like a social media audit and kind of come yeah. away from it if you know what I mean mm-hmm. uh, yeah Victoria has an amazing, unique way of writing her posts. And we were talking off air about the writing and stuff like that. And it's it's very interesting to hear from Victoria's perspective about from someone who suffers from dyslexia and writing wouldn't be the first thing that would be on a report card for her. That the unique way that she has words and how she tells her story is incredible. So I would definitely head over to her page and head out to some of the stories. But there was one post in particular was I wear my clothes they don't wear me and I think 
that one just resonated with me from working with girls in particular. So I'm going to let you expand on it a little bit more. I think when it comes to clothes and clothes size, like clothing size, women put a lot of pressure on being able to fit a certain size because we are so conditioned to believe that the smaller the size, the more successful we are, the better we are, the more perfect we are, and the more that we actually fit into like society's idea of beauty and perfection. And so we will kind of go to the lengths of being able to squeeze ourselves into clothes that are a size eight, a size 10 maybe a size six, to feel that level of success. When we we know, and any women listening to this podcast know that when you put like a pair of jeans on that are a size too small, there is nothing more uncomfortable and anything that makes you more self-conscious because it's so hugging and so tight that you know, it just, it you're not, like, the clothes are wearing you, basically. You're not making that decision to do that because that's, that's what's going to make you feel better. You're doing it because subconsciously you feel like the smaller, the smaller the clothes that you wear, the better of a person that you are. And I think we need to really learn that, and what I, I just try to kind of help women understand is that, you know, you don't walk around with the size of the, your clothes on your forehead. Like, nobody knows. And realistically, nobody cares. And I'm so sure that somebody would rather you show up into a room, you know, be it at you walk into your friend's house at a party or you go into a meeting or whatever it is, you go out to a club or a bar. People would much rather you turn up and be wearing something that you feel comfortable in so that you can like come home to yourself and show up as your whole self bring in your like your best personality and all of that than rocking up somewhere in, in clothes that are smaller and being half of the self because being half of yourself because you are uncomfortable yeah i think like there is i think there is an awful lot of pressure that a lot of people put pressure on themselves but there is a, sometimes a pressure from when they put the pressure on themselves, they're looking at social media, they're scrolling, they're looking at the girls that are, say, no offense to them, they're on, say, Love Island or something like that. They've got the big bums, the fake boobs and stuff like that with the, the tie gap and stuff. And it's, I think a lot of people don't realize that either it can be having an impact on their mental health or if, if it is, they don't really want to deal with it sometimes. And I think uh-huh. for girls in particular, from working with them, this you've spoken about this already about the scales like when i talk to my clients and the analogy that i use is you don't go into a shop looking for a size 70 kilos you go into a shop looking for a size yeah. six seven eight whatever it is mm-hmm. but how did you how do you work with your clients and how did you come away from the whole ideology of the scales because it is one of those things that's unfortunately still out there that whole stigma around the scales that like you have to control where you're getting your education from 
And if you if you're constantly seeing people talk about scales and weighing yourself, it's gonna make you feel like you need to weigh yourself. And I was explaining this to a client the other day who's who's very wrapped around the scale. I see the whole thing of, of women and body image as it's much bigger than just a woman and her weight or a woman and the size of the clothes and a, and a woman who, and her body image. It goes, you have to step outside of that and realise what's actually happening because it's very rare that you see a man be so consumed by his weight on the scale. It happens, um, but for the minority. And you very rarely see a man be, feel ashamed or feel as though his power has been taken away from him because he gained weight or because he he dressed a certain size like you you see a man as somebody like a successful man is somebody who has you know who has knowledge who can hold a room who has this power and this strength like they're the things that have been kind of given to a masculine figure but not by the way that he looks whereas as a woman even though times are changing we're still there's there's still this kind of message that's been passed down um, throughout the generations that a woman's like purpose on the earth and a woman's success is down to the way that she looks so a woman should be you know seen but not heard like they're that's like the kind of message messaging that you would get kind of passed down from maybe more so your grandma. Um, so a woman should be seen and not heard. Um, like your body is the most interesting and most important thing about you. You see all over magazines, like if a guy gains weight, you don't really see anything about that. But if you look at the front of a magazine, you see a woman's, like any kind of celebrity who's gained weight and then they're being absolutely discriminated and bashed about it. So the way I try to explain this is like it, that just shows if a man does if a man can gain weight and a man can gain clothing size and whatever and not be judged for it then and a woman can then it's not absolute fact that gaining weight is an issue. Are you with me? I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think the stigma like if a guy puts on a bit of weight, it's not necessarily demonized. But if a girl goes out with friends and she's potentially put on a little bit more weight, there's just a little bit more. She almost feels a little bit more people making a little bit more comments about her. And it's a little seems to be a little bit more stigma attached to it. I 100 percent agree with that. And I hopefully it's changing, but I can't see it changing for a little while until something is one regulated within the industry, the fitness industry. And I can't see the, the industry getting regulated anytime soon but also people just need to stop using the clickbait that is put onto them from the media as well i've de- i've deleted the the kind of the the tabloid papers off my phone the apps off my phone after what happened to caroline flack um and a lot of people i think are still going and clicking on those links and until people stop clicking those links those papers are still going to make money they're still going to put those pictures out. So I think it's up to people and all of us, both men and women, to do something about it. And mm-hmm. the first step potentially will be to stop pressing those bloody things on your phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You like you have control over what you see most of the time. 
and sometimes it's really important especially with social media to take take back your ownership and to take control of you, of what um what you consume and what you choose to consume and if it's something that triggers you to feel negative or feel a certain way then it's down to you to take that control back to unfollow and to you know create a feed which is instead quite like inspiring and empowering yeah 100% i think what we're uh, while we're on the kind of the topic of kind of like how we're feeling and and i think a lot of people are potentially feeling under pressure now that there's a lot of people kind of jumping around living rooms and stuff like that to get into shape and there's nothing wrong with that at all but the one thing that people struggle with an awful lot is the mirror this is both men and females that when people automatically look into the mirror their eyes are drawn to the negative parts like you hone in on say that extra little bit of belly fat or your potentially your bum's got a little bit bigger your arms are looking a little bit how like you have an amazing sentence remember you are much more than what you see in the mirror and it's okay. it's a beautiful sentiment so i'm going to let you expand on it a little bit more mm-hmm. so how i often explain this to people is when when you look at yourself in the mirror and you probably look at yourself in the mirror at least once a day like at least once a day so what you see starts to become amplified and I explain that in a way is, like, have you ever noticed maybe a crack on the wall, like bad plastering or just maybe new plastering that's not been, it's starting to crack away. So you notice a crack on the wall. And before that, the wall was fine. Like, you didn't see the crack, so it just didn't stress you out. You're just like, whatever. And then you start to notice the crack. And then because you know it's there, it starts to become, like, the only thing that you can see. And it starts to really grind in you the fact that that cracks there. And then before you know it, you're not actually seeing the rest of the room. You just walk into the room and you, you notice that crack on the wall. So that's the same. And like you only know you only know that now because it's become amplified in your mind because you've seen it. You know it's there. So then it starts to grow in you. And I think that this is my view anyway. I think that when you look in the mirror and you're looking at yourself you're no longer seeing the whole version of you. Like some scientists believe that if you walk past yourself in the street, you wouldn't recognize yourself because we see ourselves in, in a completely different light. So when you look in the mirror and you've, you've already had this, condi- you've had years of conditioning to believe that you um, your tummy should be flat and a perfect tummy is a flat one. So if you start to hold a little bit of fat on your tummy, which is tough, totally normal as a woman and it's totally healthy if you start to notice that maybe your body is starting to come away from the perfection the ideals that you've seen in magazines you're going to look at that you're going to look at your tummy and it's going to then become it's going to you're going to view it as bigger than it is it's going to become amplified because you've noticed it's there you've noticed that it doesn't match up with with the ideals and so it's going to become bigger and, and more and more of an issue for you and I think when it comes to looking in the mirror and if you're somebody who looks in the mirror and you really struggle not to say bad things to yourself like having positive affirmations like ready for when you look in the mirror and these bad thoughts enter your mind to remind yourself I'm more than what I look like because if you you could be perfect but you could be an absolute stone on the inside and like often you know if, if you meet somebody um yeah 
maybe their appearance is the first thing that you take into consideration within the first 10 to 15 seconds. But beyond that, somebody could have everything. They could fit the mold. They could be the, you know, Kendall Jenner, Kylie Jenner, Kim Kardashian, whatever. Um, But if they don't like the personality to match, they don't have like the care and the compassion and like the deep human needs and you know to be able to actually care and listen to other people then you've just got a pretty face yeah i i i 100 and i think you mentioned the word perfect in there somewhere and uh-huh. i've spoken about this with the likes of Hayley madigan and stuff like that and like perfection doesn't exist like you've spoken there about so about meeting someone within 10 15 seconds that sounds like an example of that would be if you were going on a date uh-huh. not much not many dates are happening right now but um but like if you are on a date and within the first 10 15 seconds you could ultimately make up your mind within uh-huh. that and then kind of like no, not interesting kind of just go through common courtesy just to go through the date but they could be the most handsome or most beautiful person in the world but they, as you said they could have no substance and uh-huh. if you ultimately can't hold a conversation or you can't make fun of each other or you can't have like dmcs or deep meaningful conversations or anything like that well then that relationship potentially is just a physical one there's nothing wrong with physical relationships but if it's going to be a longevity one or a long-term one there has to be a little bit of intertwining between the two i feel anyway i could be i could be speaking out of turn now yeah no i, I totally get that and i think for for like a woman and maybe a man as well like there are men who really 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 care about their appearance um but if we're talking from a woman's perspective in terms of her body image a lot of women who are really hyper aware and concerned of what they look like are often at the same time really consumed by food um and the nutrition they're also consumed by how much exercise they're doing probably also consumed by um what the scale last said when they last stepped onto it so if you think about that you're probably giving maybe 70 percent of your brain to your appearance you rock up on say we're talking about a date and 70 percent of your mind is just consumed by what am i going to order um is this going to map you know is this going to fit in with my nutrition is this um is this going to make me fat? Is it going to make me thin? Oh my God, tomorrow, I'm like, I'm going to have to leave this day early because I need to make sure that I get to the gym like first thing in the morning. I can't miss that gym gym class. You know, it, and it's, it's, I'm not saying here that you should never, that you shouldn't care about what you eat at all. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about exercising. But for when it, when it becomes all consuming and done for the wrong reasons, say you rock, rock up on a date, 70% of your mind is just thinking about that. You're literally giving 30% of yourself, you, you're showing like 30% of, of who you really are. And yeah, I know when I was in that place, I was just, I wasn't fun to be around. I had like no substance. I wasn't exciting. Yeah. Like I've, I remember like I haven't had, an eating disorder per se but I definitely had a body dysmorphia issue after doing a fitness photo shoot and you've uh-huh. gone the other extreme you've gone the the competing route uh-huh. yeah. and it's always surprising from an industry that we promote balance but yes the people who are who are actually in the industry 
go the extremes themselves. Uh-huh. There's nothing wrong with the the bodybuilding industry at all, but and competing and stuff like that. I have a lot of friends that do it. But what was your relationship with competing? How long did you do it for? And like, how, yeah, overall, how was your relationship with it? So I got into competing like a year after I recovered from anorexia. Um, and I remember I got into it because at this point I'd started personal training, like just started personal training. And I remember just being, because I was so like shy of using my own voice, I was petrified of going onto the gym floor and, you know, speaking to people, um, having to kind of sell myself and sell my service. And I remember just feeling so out of control. Like, obviously, an eating disorder is control. So I still had this thing with control. And I thought, right, and because I, st- I stopped training, really, because I was just trying to build my business at the time. So I stopped training. I just kind of used it eat to keep myself off the gym floor so I didn't have to go and speak to people. And then I just thought, like, I need some kind of control. I need some kind of structure back into my life. So I contacted a coach to do a photo shoot so I thought maybe I could do a photo shoot and kind of use the pictures for my business and my Instagram and things like that and because I had naturally always had a fair amount of muscle because of like dancing and then when I recovered from my eating disorder I had like the muscle memory and I just kind of filled back out and then I started my weight training and got quite um serious with that my body just went quite lean quite quick so he was he was like why don't you do a comp because he he did um, bodybuilding competitions so I was like right okay like I had no idea what I was getting myself into and I think at this point I was maybe eight weeks away from the show which he was like you sign sign up for that one to do that one so um I remember that first prep so the prep altogether was 12 weeks long and I remember I, I didn't form like a really unhealthy relationship with food I was really enjoying my exercise I loved seeing like my body changing and it was I had like quite a positive um experience with it and I also didn't go like I didn't look too tiny I just looked like I'd I'd leaned out so I did um, my first comp which was in May and it was like a qualifier so um I did that I ended up winning that and that meant that I was through to a, another competition like late, way later on in the year, in like October. So I was like, right, okay, well, I might as well just do it because I'd had such a good time for the first 12 weeks. So then I carried on dieting. And halfway between those shows, he was like, you should do one in the middle. So like judges see you and things like that. And I thought, I thought I found my calling. Like <laughs> I, I actually thought it was really great. And then coming up to my second show, I just remember going, because I'd been dieting for so long at this time, I remember going really flat. I just looked super skinny. Um, I, I just started, started to not really enjoy it. And then going from my second show to my third show. So I think I was in prep for 10 months in total. So then going into my third show, I remember I would text my coach and be like, I don't want to do this. Like, I, I hate this. Like, I just want to stop. And he was just like, you've come this far. Why would you stop? So I, I kind of, like, in my head had already zoned out but knew that I 
might as well just might as well just do the comp and then I can leave and I don't have to carry on doing it anymore and I remember I just hated it and I remember I'd have moments of thinking I've literally just got my eating disorder again um my relationship with food was just got so bad um because obviously with prep you just eating like weighing absolutely every single morsel of food like whenever I was allowed a, a cheat me refeed they call it um I was I literally would eat a disgusting amounts of like a bowl with a full thing of ice cream and like donuts and cookies like ugh literally I think about it now and it knocks me sick but because I was just so restricted I like I just I would just have these huge binges and um I was I was half a person I didn't socialize I literally just stayed in the whole time I had a boyfriend at the time didn't want to sleep with him at all it I was literally just half a human no friends literally like nothing but then on social media people people thought I was just so like amazing because I had this this body and these abs and and all of that and I really struggled to disconnect from at this point in my life I was very much living from a social media platform and yeah so I did my final comp and then literally after that I was like get me out of this um and I remember like quite soon after that I broke up with that boyfriend that I was with and met Mike who I'm who is my boyfriend now and I just learned so much from him to be able to kind of step away from my really awful relationship with food and exercise and just start to kind of normalize things so yeah it was a bit of a whirlwind yeah it's i'm trying to pinpoint where to start did you even at the after the 10 months did you even reverse diet or did you just go cold turkey and just go ice cream ice cream ice cream i didn't i didn't turn to um like really binging like i know quite a lot of people did i think i maybe after my second competition i got a bit of a binge tendency um but then after my final competition and like when i met mike and stuff because his relationship with food was just so normal i just kind of like I, i slowly gained weight um it wasn't like a massive like I remember my coach would sometimes gain like 20 pounds obviously of water weight but he would just he would gain like 20 pounds in like a few days um but I just wasn't really like that I I think I just was like I obviously knew that I'd had this eating disorder in the past I knew what it's like to have an eating disorder and I just kind of realized that competing was just like a it was like an eating disorder that I got a trophy for that's yeah i could yeah i can see that i can see the that sentence making a lot of that sentence makes a lot of sense i can like i've got a lot of friends who compete and some of them at national level some of them are national champions and stuff but a lot of them would like after their last show would be yeah just get me a load of crispy creams and like they'd have 12 15 christmas crispy creams in one sitting and you're like how are you stomaching this after having yeah. no food for it's 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 a mad mad competition for a majority of the time a piece of plastic yeah so true um you like at, when people are starting out on anything really whether it be a 
I don't know, a work thing or a career or a fitness journey, a lot of people are afraid of failure. And one of the sentences that you or and and captions that you put up was failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. So I'm gonna let you talk about I that it it's such a simple sentence, but it's it it it's very, very powerful the way you've written it. So I'm gonna let you talk about it a little bit more. Yeah, so that's not um, my quote. I didn't make that up. I think I saw it on Pinterest somewhere. I can't remember who actually wrote it. But I remember seeing it and it just really spoke to me. Um, Because I think what can happen and what's really a really common thing to happen is we, you know, something doesn't go as planned. We fail. And we then avoid that like completely because failing can feel like hard it can feel you know like the world has ended like we've let ourselves down we've let other people down and we just shouldn't go forward with anything like that ever again and over the years I've just really learned that failure like if if you didn't have your failures and the little things that you didn't succeed at then you would there'd be no lessons to learn and you know it's inevitable that at some point in your life then something's gonna go wrong and if you've had not a single failure because you've never tried to push your barriers and push your limits then when you hit your first failure because you've done everything so perfect and you've been so careful it's gonna feel like the end of the world whereas I feel like when you when you have like your your little failures because you know that you put yourself out there you see them as as lessons learned. So really, failure isn't the right word. It's just a. It's something that's not gone to right. It, not not gone so right, so that you can learn from it and change it to. Make it work the next time. Yeah, I think, I don't think I would be doing this. I don't think I would be talking to you today if, I had my failure or my lower point, my lowest point in twenty seventeen. Uh, for anyone that isn't aware in 2017 I woke up with two blood clots on my left arm and then two weeks later collapsed at my desk at work with fluid on my lungs and lost two stone in about three weeks two stone in about three weeks and had to leave the corporate world had to take a break had some sort of a mental breakdown literally went into recluse and then found fitness as cheesy as that sounds but like it, it is, and I like I wasn't severe, like I wasn't overweight. I was like one of those people that was enjoyed the weekends, one of those that kind of that kind of body and that kind of composition and stuff like that. But it's, I wouldn't, I'd still be. It's sometimes like I sometimes shudder. I think if if that hadn't happened, I would be still at that desk. Yeah. It's, yeah. So like you you do have you do take those lessons you may not see it at that time mm-hmm. but I'm, and it may t- take a little bit of time my example is completely is very very dramatic and i don't want that to happen to anyone but it is a dramatized version but there are certain things that people if they're starting out on a say trying to lose weight they're almost afraid to fear to other people mm-hmm. um and i think a lot John and Mary down the road couldn't give a shit what you're trying to do <laughs> yeah so true it's like John and Mary couldn't give less of a shit they're literally trying to not kill each other during lockdown at the minute yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a quote by an author called Rachel Hollis and it's don't let the people in the cheap seats have an expensive opinion on your life 
And I always just say that to everybody who's holding back from doing something because of the fear of what other people say. It's it's mad how we talk ourselves out of it and we we kind of believe our own bullshit. Uh-huh. But it's uh, but like I sometimes like if clients are trying to do something or if someone messages me about trying to start something or is trying to start a diet, I have the tendency to call them out in their own bullshit. In a uh-huh. I try to do it in a nice way, but sometimes it has to be the tough love option as well. Yeah. Um, but I think so many people believe their own bullshit that they can't do X, Y, and Z. The famous one that I've had is when they've one person in particular believed that they had, say, an underactive thyroid, and that's why they right. couldn't lose weight. So I was like, okay, go get the test, and then the test came back negative. But it would they've been using that excuse for like twenty years. Yeah. And, but when they found the truth, they they were fine then. It was just like one of these mental blocks that had been drawn up because their parents potentially had an underactive thyroid as well. The yeah. the last question I'm going to ask you is: there's a there's a post that you put up. The truth is happiness and thinness have no correlation. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to let you expand on that a little bit more. I think we just have this big belief that if you get to like body goals um what are they called when you do this so inverted commas yeah inverted yeah commas so people think that if you get there or you get the same body as the celeb who you idolize then you're just gonna kind of get to this final destination of happiness like your your happiness as a human lies in you fitting in that size eight and lies in that number that you hit on the scale and for people who don't believe me I always just say try it like get there and let me know how you feel and like if you feel genuinely happy then let me know because I'm wrong and I should probably change the way that I speak and and message that I share with people but from my own experiences and the experiences that I experienced with you know five years of working with clients as a personal trainer and what I do now with working with people as a coach um people get there or they've already been there and they're 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 so unhappy but it's like we we all because we think that for that one moment that we really fit in with what we should have what we should look like and what um what fits with society's ideal we we were like the of happiness where like in reality your happiness cannot be find be found in thinness like there's just there isn't this correlation with it like you you could be thin and you could be happy at the same time but I think if you are restricting yourself if you're not you know being social if you're not um if you're exercising to the gra- to the exercising yourself to the ground and becoming a slave to the gym like obviously not in lockdown then how are you a happy person like is that a happy life and I think often when people kind of have the realization and come to the realization with that they realize that no actually it's not a happy life you just look a certain way yeah I think I've, I definitely fell into that when I was doing the, the photo shoot I was like I'll be happy when I have abs uh-huh. and I was like I was there's a picture of me the Monday before the shoot on the Friday and the soul has left my eyes it's literally yeah. it, it's you think you want that and you think that's per- perfect all that kind of stuff but 
this is my this is my biased opinion on it. But if if abs make you happy and you're happy enough being that lean, by all means go ahead. But I think a lot of people yeah. are striving for it for potentially the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. they're trying to go for an ideal when it potentially isn't their ideal. Mm-hmm. If that yeah. makes sense. So Victoria, where can people find out about yourself? Where can people find out about your podcast as well and what's coming up next for you? Um, so people can find me on mainly my Instagram, which is at Victoria Neve, spelt N I A M H, the Irish way. Um, and the podcast is called Fit and Fearless, and you can find that on either BBC Sounds app or any kind of major podcast app. Um, and what's coming up next? Oh, I'm I've actually got something really exciting coming up next. I'm just about to release a journal, which is um mainly based around body image so there isn't anything like it that i've seen um out there but that's just going into production now so yeah that's going to be the next big thing when's that going to be out oh i don't know because i need to get my i need to get one copy printed first to make sure it's all exactly how i wanted it um but hopefully what are we in now june maybe august that's not far away Uh, yeah no that's exciting um Guys, if you've enjoyed the episode at all, please do tag Victoria and I up on your story. Please leave a review up on iTunes. Victoria, it's been absolutely amazing to have a chat. Uh, and the next time, so anyone that doesn't know, Victoria has Irish roots. Um, so <laughs> uh, so next time Victoria is in Dublin, we'll hunt, we'll hunt her down and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get a session when lockdown's over. So Victoria, thank you so much for, for coming on and giving up your time and stay safe for the rest of the lockdown. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Take care.